Thanks for joining us here at AG Kolkata. We are the church for the open arms and we serve in the city of joy, Kolkata. It is our desire to reach out to those in need and to be instruments of effective change in a hurting world. If you like to learn more about us, you can simply go to www.agkolkata.org. We hope that you'll enjoy today's message. of a world of confusing voices people desperately need to hear God's voice that's what we said last time and you'll agree with me and what I want to talk to you today and in this what I began talking to you last week and today and the next in the in the series is what it means to be a prophetic people we sometimes look at the ministry of the prophets as one single lone ranger who is this weirdo you know comes with long hair, goats, a sheepskin, or some animal skin, and who shouts a voice in the wilderness. Now, there was a place for that. And God will continue to use people like that as appropriate. But these are days when God is calling his people to rise up and be a prophetic people. So what is prophecy? I don't know what you think of when you hear the word prophet. Most people think of a soothsayer. Someone who foretells the future. A fortune teller of some kind. Now the fact is, prophecy can sometimes be predictive. And I have both received such predictive words, as well as on occasion been used of God to share predictive words with others. But that is not the main point of prophecy. It's not even the main meaning of the word that is translated prophecy. The primary meaning is forth-telling, telling forth, proclaiming a message from God. 2 Peter 1.21 captures the a definition of prophecy best. If you can read it together with me, friends. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. By the way, I want to add my own words of welcome to Mark. It's such a joy to have you. Mark Long, uh, dear family, uh, the Long family. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're the longest of the Longs. Aren't you the tallest of the sons? Yeah. So good to have you with us, Mark. This verse captures what we sometimes refer to as the double authorship of prophecy. Okay? It says here, we look at it again. Prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human. So human beings speak. It's not some eerie, weird thing, you know, like uh, when a person is possessed by an evil spirit, you go into a trance. No, human beings speak. But human be beings speak from God. They spoke from God. So prophets do not make up their messages out of their own imaginations or in their heads. God provided the message and the prophets spoke the words God wanted them to speak. Now how does this happen? Again, this passage describes to us how it happened. It says, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the original word here is very interesting. It describes how when the wind 
fills the sails of a sailboat and carries it along the water. That's the expression used here. Where uh, I'm not, I've been on a boat a few times, but I'm never, uh, you know, I don't know what it is like, but particularly in the days before engines were introduced, seafarers were totally dependent on the wind. And if the wind stopped, you are not going anywhere. But when the wind came, the expert sailors would adjust the sails so as to catch the wind and carry the ship along the water. Now that is the metaphor, that is the description of how prophets spoke as the Holy Spirit carried them along. And so in summary form, this is what prophecy means. It will come up on the screen. When God's Spirit communicates God's word through God's prophets to God's people. That's prophecy. Okay. Let's read that together, okay? Just so it help you to remember. God's spirit communicates God's word through God's prophets to God's people. As a result, you find the Old Testament prophets claiming to speak the direct message of God himself. And so they made what were in some way stunning claims. They began by saying, thus says the Lord. Or, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. They were able to speak with such authority because they were filled with God's spirit. They had received God's word. They were carried along by the spirit to speak God's word. However, there on one hand, you have prophets who heard from God and spoke God's word. But there were also those who falsely claimed to speak for God. And the Bible refers to these false prophets, pretty strong language, as wolves. And so this morning, our theme is true and false prophets. How does one distinguish between true and false prophets? And we're looking at it in two parts. First of all, the biblical language to describe some characteristics of false prophets and the Bible describes them as deceptive wolves. Listen to one prophetic denunciation of deceptive wolves in Ezekiel 13. The Lord speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, through the prophet Ezekiel says, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. Even though the Lord has not sent them, they say the Lord declares and expect him to fulfill their words. It's very clear here that there is such a thing as the counterfeit. The fact is, why am I sharing this with you this morning? Not just as a historical description, but as we look at the ministry of the Old Testament prophets, as we look at these differences between true and false prophets, it will help us today to process what we hear. The preachers, the speakers, the prophets who come to us today claiming to speak for God. And so in this first part of this message, I want to just list to you three marks of these deceptive wolves. The Bible, term Bible uses to describe false prophets. The first Mark is that they are frauds. Strong word. But this is what marks false prophets. 
We see it in the verses we just read. Why do we call them frauds? They are not sent by God and yet claim to be sent by God. They do not have a message from God but fabricate a message. Instead, they follow their own spirit. They've seen nothing but claim to see. They prophesy out of their own imaginations. Their visions are false. This divination's a lie. And so listen to God's warning. He warns us not to listen to them or to pay heed to their false hopes. Jeremiah 23, 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. People of God, these days, because of the power of the digital media, okay, television, internet, other avenues, we get all kinds of messages from all kinds of people, social media, so on and so forth, which claim to be authentic words from God. Be careful of the frauds. Two, the second mark of the false prophets. They're not only frauds in that they deceive and claim to have a message that they don't really have. Is that they're people pleasers. Here's a mark of the prophet. The prophet is never in the game to win a popularity contest. Their job is simply to hear and tell. They're supposed to faithfully deliver God's message. Nothing more, nothing less. And the message of the prophet is not always good news, is it? The evangelist always has a good news message. Not so the prophet. When people turn away from the true God to worship creation rather than the creator. When people lapse into sin, behavior that is distasteful to God. The prophets come on the scene and they are supposed to communicate God's rebuke fearlessly and call people to repentance. Now this is in contrast to politicians whose job it is to test the public mood, right? Gauge what, what does the public want and then play to the gallery. No. In contrast, the prophets often have a message that is not popular. <coughs> Excuse me. And I gave you one such message at the end of my message last Sunday. Ezekiel chapter 3, where the prophet speaks God's word, where God tells the prophet, son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning for me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. Wow. Heavy, isn't it? Now, let me be a little candid with you, okay? As a preacher, as a pastor, and I'm speaking on behalf of all the, those who are in this Roles, okay? Quick question. 
How many of you like to be liked? Huh? You like to be liked. You want people to love you. Let me see your hand. Come on. Some of you are saying, I don't want to be liked. Well, then you have a self-image problem. We pray for you at the end. But you like to be liked. Okay? You know what? Pastors also like to be liked. Did you know that? No, yeah. Pastors also have two eyes, one nose, you know, one brain, two hands, same heart as you have. And so sometimes it's very, the hardest thing in the world is either from the pulpit or one-to-one -one basis to tell someone a message like this. What you're doing isn't good for you. And if you continue on that path, you're headed for destruction. Some of you are saying, yes, pastor, you must be willing to say that. Remember that if I come to you next week, okay? No, I won't do that unless it's necessary. It's very hard, isn't it? But here's where I want to turn the tables and say, this is not just a burden God gives to pastors. We don't have any sort of, God has not put us on a pedestal. When we're talking about being a prophetic people, that is a role God expects every person who bears the name of Christ to bear. That's a burden you have to bear. There's someone in your family, someone in your sphere of influence is doing something that is taking them in the wrong direction. God expects you regardless of whether or not you're liked as a result of that. If necessary, you know, drop the bitter pill into that person's mouth. Why? The Bible says that's the job of a friend, right? Remember what the book of Proverbs says? Huh? About the wound of a friend is better than the kiss of an enemy. And sometimes we have to be willing to wound people we love. Not so the false prophet. They're more interested in winning a popularity contest. They're more, much more interested in filling the pews. They're much more interested in increasing the number of, of their viewership. Telling you and me what we want to hear. Making sure that, you know what, if I tell, say nice things to people, they'll continue to tithe. They'll continue to attend church. They'll, if I say that on TV, they're going to send me their check. If I talk about prosperity, if I talk about blessing, if I talk about only good things, and I don't talk about touched lives that are uncomfortable, that distract them from God's purpose. That's the second mark of deceiving wolves, false prophets. What is the first? Frauds. Second, people pleasers. Thirdly, but there are many more. They are corrupt. I know this is, sounds judgmental. But false prophets often look good in public. 
Bible sometimes uses the phrase more than once, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, the clothing is just right. The clothing makes them look like the real thing. They smell like the real thing. You touch it, it you can touch the wool. Wool. But the Bible says underneath, they are ravenous wolves. So if you go deeper into their lives, you will often find a lifestyle that is not in keeping with the message. Sometimes find immorality, drunkenness, and sometimes it's very obvious, greed, sheer greed. A lifestyle that's flagrant. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns against the role of false prophets and tells people at the end of this great message, three chapters of the book of Matthew, the greatest teaching in all of the universe, concludes by saying, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. I'll come back to this before the end of the message. But I like the message version of this. Be wary of false preachers. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. This is supposed to come up on the screen. I don't know if it's come up behind me. Yeah, let's, let's see the second part again. The message translation. Be wary of false preachers. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. So much for the deceptive wolves, false prophets. They are frauds, people pleasers, they are corrupt. Let's turn to the real thing now. And if you notice, I use the singular to characterize them. Deceptive wolves. But now we're looking at the lion's voice. And why are you using the singular? No matter how many, how many people speak it, it's one voice. The voice of the Lord. In Amos chapter 3 verse 8, this is where I got the term lion from. Let's read it together. The lion, let's read it together. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? Who is the lion? Not the prophet. It's the Lord. The voice of the prophets or the what the prophets speak is the voice of the Lord. And keep in mind, the voice of the Lord is never multiple, it's singular. So whether I speak the voice of the Lord, someone else comes and speaks the voice of the Lord, it will have to be the same thing if it is the voice of the Lord. And I'll explain that a little more through the rest of this message. But let me give you an illustration of a true prophet. Just one illustration. All of us have heard of King David, the greatest king of Israel. 
great king, but human. And on one occasion, David commits a terrible sin when he covets another man's wife, a beautiful lady by the name of Bathsheba. He commits adultery with her. Then in trying to cover up his sin, ends up committing murder. How does he do it? He sends Bathsheba's husband Uriah to the front line of the battle and in this devious plan tells the general Joab, you know what, send him to the front line of the battle and retreat, make him vulnerable so that he will be killed. And that happens. Adultery followed by murder. Now keep in mind this is 4,000 years ago. Kings of those days could get away with that without blinking an eyelid. Nobody would question them. Because sometimes things like that happen even today, don't they? People get away with all kinds of things if they are in positions of power. But not David. David couldn't get away with it. Why? Because God loved him too much to get, let him get away with such a gross sin. So what does God do? He sends the prophet Nathan to David's court. And Nathan shares a parable. And as he begins to tell the story, he, David doesn't know that Nathan is summarizing David's story in parabolic form. And so he follows the story, unaware that his own evil actions are being exposed. And at the climax of the parable, David is very angry. He blurts out, what? Such a man deserves to die. And this is when we see a true prophet in action. In 2 Samuel 12. At that moment when David says, keep in mind, this is a powerful king. The king's word is law. Prophet Nathan responds by saying to David, in a sense, pointing his finger and says, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel, saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house. If that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more, David. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? Keep in mind, mind, this is the prophet Nathan speaking to the most powerful person in the empire who has the power by a word of his mouth to have Nathan not just imprisoned but killed. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? In the verse 11, this is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. But verse 13 tells us why God loved David. He submits to the word. Despite his power as the king of Israel, bends his knee and repents. David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. But I gave you that account simply to illustrate to you how a true prophet is. I wonder what was going through Nathan's mind as he's walking towards King David. King David is already backslidden. <laughs> he's committed adultery. He's trying to cover up his sin. And he's tried to destroy the evidence in today's language. 
What is to stop him from cutting Nathan's head off? But a true prophet who is hurt from God, we will see bear certain marks. And I want to give you three marks very quickly of a true prophet. First of all, truth. Everyone say with me, truth. This is a concept which is under assault today, truth. People don't like the word truth. We've tried to make the concept of truth fuzzy. What is true to you, for you is not true, true for me. This is okay for you, but it's different for me. Now the fact of the matter is, uh, people, there is a place for perspective, right? Not everything in our world is black and white. But there are some things which are absolutes. There is such a thing as absolute truth. And a true prophet is committed to the absolute truth that the lion roars. The children of Israel were on their way to Canaan and had camped on the plains of Moab. They were a large multitude. And the king of Moab, person, king by the name of Balak, gets nervous. And even though they don't seem to pose an immediate threat to his kingdom, he wants to anticipate an attack from the children of Israel. So he decides to use a spiritual strategy. He calls a prophet named Balaam or Balaam, however you want to pronounce it, okay? Americans would say Balaam, Balaam. Maybe I'll use Balaam comes easily. The prophet Balaam to curse the Israelites. After some initial resistance, you know, uh, Balaam doesn't want to go because when he goes to God in prayer, God says, don't go. But King Balak continues to offer him bribes and promise of gifts. And finally, Balaam responds to King Balak's summons. By the way, this is where you hear the famous story of a donkey speaking, right? Yeah. Where uh, Balaam is going towards and, and uh, you know, God, an angel of the Lord comes in the way. And the donkey finally has to win. It's a very, very interesting <laughs> illustration. Every preacher must remember that, okay? Sometimes preachers, we think too higher of ourselves than we, than we should. And I always use that. If God can use a donkey, he can, of course, he has to be really desperate to use a donkey. But he can use anybody. But even though Balaam goes, with God's permission, eventually, God, God finally allows him to go. Notice how Balaam draws the line, stating his limits. This is what he says. He says, I have come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. Notice his commitment to truth. Not only that. Three times Balaam attempts to curse the children of Israel. And every time ends up blessing them. And of course, King Balak is livid with rage. I called you here, I paid you, I brought you here to do exactly the opposite. And I want you to observe Balaam's response, his explanation in Numbers 23. Famous words. Let's read it together. 
Numbers 23, 19 onwards. God, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. Friends, truth is truth. When we assert God, there is a God. There's no way of saying, you know, I believe there is a God. You don't believe there's a God. It's okay. I believe in a good God. You believe in a God who is good and bad. We're both okay. No. God is either good or he's not. I believe in a heaven. You don't believe it's okay. No. Either there is a heaven or there is not. God's plan for marriage, the place, his role for sexuality that he defines, it's either true to be followed or it's false. When God says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, either it is or it isn't. Do you get what I'm saying? Jesus is either who he said he is, the unique son of the living God, God in human form, or he is a liar. You either accept that truth or you reject it. You cannot dilute or change that assertion of truth into what you want it to be. So this is the absolute standard of any true prophet who speaks God's word by God's spirit. He must be committed to truth. She must only say what God says. And at the time of the Old Testament, the time of the Old Testament prophets, God's law given through Moses was the standard that defined truth for them. And all of their prophetic proclamations were based on that. They did not contradict, they never contradicted God's law. Quite the, quite the opposite. Every time they called people to a change of behavior, they said, people, you have departed from God's law. Get back to obedience. Turn from your wicked ways and follow God's law. Fast forward to 21st century, New Testament era. Today, the Bible is the standard. Any message that claims to be from God. Remember what Jesus said. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So I want to then just lay out for you three tests of which this is the first. The first, if a true prophet is the one who is passionately committed to the truth. The test of a true prophet is this. Does the prophet's message line up with the word. Any prophecy, any message, any teaching that claims to be from the spirit of God must pass this test. If it is not in line with scripture, it must be rejected as not from God. I remember some years ago, I was in a situation, this is not, not unique, where... Uh, 
you know, a couple came to me and a prophet, a so-called prophet had come and said, you know, your marriage is not of God. So God says to the lady, you must leave this man and, you know, follow me or something stupid like that. God has spoken. No. That cannot be God. Because it doesn't line up with scripture. You follow? No matter who he is, even if she raises the dead to life, no one has the authority to contradict God's word because the lion has roared. His word is one. God doesn't speak with, with two different voices, right? Does the message line up with the word of truth? That's the first test. What's the second mark of a true prophet? Justice. Justice has to do with God's love for people. Not just in individuals, but for the human race. Justice is God's love distributed, His care for people, expressed in the form of law, His will. Listen to Micah chapter 3, verse 8. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord. I am filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. Get this, uh, beloved. Micah's prophecy highlights God's concern, the prophetic concern for justice. Yes, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. But the same spirit is also the spirit of justice. I could give you many more scriptures. Let me give you just one more. Jeremiah 22 verses 15 to 16. This is the prophet speaking and referring to the uh, good King Josiah. He says, your father Josiah did what was right and just. So all went well, well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy. So all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Listen to what God is saying. He said, if you, that your claim to know me is seen by your acts of justice. More than that, a promise of blessing, God's favor. You can sleep well at night. When you're committed to justice, we will talk more about this in the next time we speak on this, on the topic, in our closing message on the theme of the prophets. But let me just uh, move on with this statement. Listen to this. Anyone who truly has the spirit of God, the God of the Bible, will love what he loves. Will value what he values. Will care for those who he cares for. And who does God care for? He cares for the poor. He cares for the marginalized, the exploited. He cares for the helpless. He cares for the widow. He cares for the orphan. He cares for the powerless. And if we are his children, if he cares for them, 
so must we. That is a simple definition of justice, but we'll talk more about this. So, that moves me to the second test. The first test of truth, does it line up with the truth of God's word? Second test of justice, what does this message of the prophet do for people? Does the message build people up or destroy people? Particular people's faith. Let me give you a New, New Testament description of what real good word of the Lord, prophecy, preaching should do. One who prophesies, 1 Corinthians 14.3, strengthens others, encourages them, comforts them. This is the test of good prophecy. It should strengthen. It should encourage. It should comfort. If prophecy brings confusion, if a preaching brings division, if it leaves you feeling judged, crushed, undermines your faith, this is not of God. If all it does is tell you, you know, if you, if you follow God, you'll be blessed. You'll, instead of driving a scooter, you'll drive a car. Instead of living in a one-room house, you'll have five-rooms house. All it talks about is health, wealth, prosperity. That is not... And all about you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I forgot to emphasize that. If all it does is tell you by following Jesus, loving God, it's going to be all about you. Better life for you. <coughs> Excuse me. Better house for you. <coughs> Better job for you. Bigger bank account for you. If all the message, the prophecy talks about more for you, beware. Did you hear the prayers? <coughs> Excuse me. Did you hear Pastor Patrick say? It's all about. It's all about. Him. The heart of our worship is God-focused. The heart of our service, our mission, is other-focused. Does God bless us? Yes, of course he does. But that's a byproduct of our worship, which is God-focused. And our service mission, which is focused on the other, especially the hurting, the poor, those in need. And when you do that, God blesses you. But we don't have to run after blessing, we run after God. Amen? Test of a true prophet, truth, justice. Thirdly and finally, character. The key feature which separates True and false prophets. I want to go back to Jesus' words, the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Watch out for false prophets. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Look for character. Simple thing, friends. To have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? 
The reverse is true. If you really are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and you claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't care how much noise you make, it's not the Holy Spirit you have. And if you do, you don't have Him, the measure that He wants to fill you. Which is why 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels, I have not love. I'm a noisy gong sounding brass. Please don't misunderstand. Okay, I believe in speaking in tongues. I do. I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. But let's put the emphasis where the Bible puts it. So test number three of a true prophet. Does the messenger's life bear the fruit of godliness? And by the way, what I, I'm not asking you to go around with the spirit of criticism. You know what I mean? There's some people who have a pathological critical mind. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about those who, they look at you, always glass half empty, not half full. Always something is wrong. Music is too loud, too soft. Preaching is too long, too short. Uh, you're either overdressed or underdressed. You can't do anything right. I'm not talking about going around like that with a critical spirit. I'm talking about having a right judgment. Searching the scriptures. And humbly submitting your judgment to the judgment of those around. But I must quickly close this message on true and false prophets. The difference between deceptive bulls and the voice of the lion with one verse. And that is in 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 19 and 20. And I want us to read this together. This is the concluding advice and a summary of this message. Shall we read it? Ready? Don't suppress the spirit. And don't stifle those who have a word from the master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything. Keep only what's good. Yes, friends. There are many out there and in here who exercise the prophetic authority. Preachers, evangelists, pastors. From this pulpit, other pulpits, through television, internet, the Bible's warning is beware of wolves. It's not my words, Bible's warning. Check out everything. I've given you at least three tests, there are more. Check out if the message lines up with the truth of God's word. Check out does the message build up or destroy people's faith. Check out does the messenger's life bear the fruit of godliness. All the messenger does is talk about himself, herself. All the messenger does is ask you to send gifts to him so that he can have a better lifestyle. If all the messenger is doing is finding in the ministry a way to feather his or her Nest, beware. That's one level. But there's another level at which the prophetic ministry operates. And I want to conclude with that. The Bible says through Amos, the lion has roared. God has spoken. How many of you know God has not stopped speaking? He's still speaking, right? He's still speaking. He has a word 
today for our world, for our church, for the people within your circle of influence. The Lord is still speaking. And the question the Holy Spirit is asking you today, are you listening? Hello? Are you taking time to listen to what God is saying? All around you in these tumultuous days, there are people who are desperate to hear God's voice. Why? Sometimes in the midst of the pain and struggles of life, it's hard to recognize the hand of God at work. Where is God in the midst of the confusion of my circumstances? Where is God when death suddenly strikes and I go through bereavement? Where is God when unexpectedly my loved one is in hospital and is critical? Where is God when I lose my job suddenly? People are longing to hear the voice of God. God is saying to you and me this morning, that he's calling us to be a prophetic people. To be the voice of the lion. In the midst of the confusing voices of wolves all around, God is saying, will you be the voice of the lion? With courage and clarity, speak to your neighbor, speak to your colleague at work, speak perhaps to a member of your family or relative in the midst of their confusion. This is what the Lord is saying. Thanks for listening to this message from AG Kolkata. We hope you would stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by using at AGC Kolkata. We would love to know how this message has touched your life. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at stories at agkolkata.org. Hope you have a great week ahead.